Hello and welcome to the Judgment Day Refreshment Committee. I am your host as ever, sexy, sexy Dory Peacock. With me today, as usual, is a national Timbarrassment, Timothy Morris. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey everyone, I'm sorry I haven't uploaded in a while, but I've been busy because I was talking to my doctor and they wanted me to collect all the toenail clippings that I've been leaving around my room to determine mathematically whether or not I have a superhuman growth rate of my toenails. And? And it turns out I am both extraordinary and mundane. Just the perfect mix, I suppose. Yeah, you know. Uh, I'm I'm different than everyone and in a totally irrelevant way superior. Huh. But but other than that, I'm just like you. I'm I'm the perfect star. He's the perfect star, everybody. <laughs> Timothy <laughs> Timothy Maurice. Perfect star. It'll be on his tombstone. Well, we today are entertaining hopes of becoming perfect stars because we are going to discuss the hopes and dreams factory that was the YouTube of the turn of the last century. Oh, let's go back in time to 2009. Barack Obama was a year into his presidency. Kanye West was interrupting people on stage in the middle of the VMAs. Not just any people. Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. Look how that turned out. <laughs> oh, look what you made him do. Uh, have you seen Kanye's tweets recently? Oh, he's been tweeting a novel, hasn't he? Didn't he write it? He wrote a book. I don't know if he... He hasn't been tweeting the novel, but he got back on Twitter, and his tweets are really good to, like, memeable. But, like, he's saying all these things, like, he's preaching love and, like, the the inability to look at paradigms of things as enemies and, like, how to, like... I don't know, just general, very open, but very spiritually cogent life advice. Did he, like, just get out of the hospital? Because didn't he, didn't he do some inpatient treatment recently? He did treatment. I don't know the details. I have, Someone does. All I know is Kanye West needed to do that. I, I don't know. Kanye West is... Kanye West strikes me as a person who is full of a lot of feelings, and that's why he is the way he is. He's definitely a complicated figure, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, so, Kanye West, back on top again. Uh, I made a huge mistake. What? I, I listened to Pride and Prejudice and Zombies at work. Why? Uh, because I was listening to Pride and Prejudice and I was like, look, look, world, I've read Pride and Prejudice. I don't need to listen to Rosamund Pike do Pride and Prejudice. What I need is to see what this book would be like with some zombies. And so I took that opportunity to see what it would be like with those zombies. And, uh, it was very disappointing, mm -hmm. to be honest. I was expecting better things because I, I love Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, but I thought there was like... It didn't feel like he crafted the story around the zombie apocalypse as much as I would have liked, and the zombies were just kind of there. Yeah, I, I have a hard time summoning emotions for that experience, because it feels so dry to me. It's like, it's like barely a veneer of anything interesting. It's like, I would rather watch a movie which is a, which is a wholesale, like, perfectly straightforward adaptation of Pride and Prejudice, but they just, like, say zombie in place of one really key word. And everyone plays it totally straight. And that I would rather watch than an actual Pride and Prejudice movie with zombies in it. Oh, my gosh. Or read a that, book with it. That would actually be kind of great. Right? Oh, my gosh. I actually kind of want to, like... 
I don't, I don't know. I, I watched the movie and the movie was stupid and dumb and I hated how much they changed the story because I thought like, like to have it just be Pride and Prejudice and then every once in a while they kill a zombie. That's pretty funny. And those are the best jokes in the book when they're just like, oh, and then there was a zombie. But it was also, it also felt kind of disjointed. Well, and because Jane Austen structured things in a very particular way, did she not? Uh, yeah, yeah, kind of. Okay. But it's also, I don't know, it, it, it just, the zombies felt kind of tacked on, but also I was reading an edition that had like, where he had gone back and added more zombie violence because people had complained about the lack of zombie violence in the original. Oh my gosh. So, and, and it doesn't feel like, the zombies don't feel like they have a lot of consequences, like they're, to killing them, they don't affect the plot very much. It's basically like, okay, well the real plot is that they're going to go to the Netherfield Ball, but... Then there were zombies, and then there weren't zombies. Can I be really real? Yeah. Like, really, really real? Yeah. I do not care about zombies unless they're sad and gay. You know what? I, I can get down with the sad gay zombie life. Like, and and believe it or not, there are multiple things which scratch this itch for me. But honestly, I want my zombies sad and gay, and I don't not, no other kind. Can we have Tim's list of sad gay zombies? Uh, there is, uh, ne- well, mostly it's this one show from Britain called uh, In the Flesh, which is about, um, this is a really popular thing, like sentient zombies, like you're a zombie, but you're just kind of like a regular person. Yeah, weirdly, the zombies in Pride and Prejudice are kind of sentient. Yeah, the, in, this is a story about a zombie apocalypse where all the zombies were monsters, and then they found a drug which suppresses their instincts and returns their cognitive abilities. Mm. So they're basically people who are dead, and they try to reintegrate into society. Oh, so it's like an allegory for gayness. A little bit, because it's about this one guy who's dead and was a zombie and then has to go back to his small town English village. Oh, and are, are some people like, oh, I'm really cool with your zombie life. And other people are like, oh, it doesn't seem right to me. Yeah, yeah. up to and including like the hostilities that normally were kind of suppressed are brought out because some people are very like, shoot them. Yeah, yeah. It's it's scary, but it's cool. It's really cool. It's a weird do, little show that only got two seasons, but it's, yeah. How do, how do they deal with what we're going to start calling the bright problem, which is the the inherent problematicness of being, of, of cast, of coding a race of dangerous creatures as a, an ethnic group or a minority group that does exist and is not in fact dangerous? Because it's not just one group. Um, they can be any, they can be disabled people, they can be uh, unruly teenagers, they can be gay, they can be women, they can be other minorities, but it's juxtaposing them against English small town society and kind of oppressive right wing English government. That is really where it comes. Like, that's really where more, the metaphor is more on the, that side of things than just like. The zombies are standing for, like, a bunch of people. Oh, and I guess it helps that they've removed that, like, the zombies are no longer dangerous. So it's not like, oh, uh, you're implicitly saying that, like, these people are brain-eating. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to spend all my time talking about it in the flesh, but that's a good uh, show. That's true. Zombies are fun, though. And uh, they uh, zombies are another thing that became incredibly popular in 2009. Mm, what which... was, was, was there like a zombie thing? That was like when Zombieland came out, not too naf- not that far after. Yeah, Zombieland came out, I think, in 2011. That's when Marlena and I watched it. Jesse Eisenberg was a human man. People liked him in movies. We thought he was going to be the new Michael Sarah, and he was not. Uh, it turns out the old Michael Sarah was the new Michael Sarah, and then the new Michael Sarah was no more. We were looking for Michael Sarah in all the wrong places. And it turns out all along, all we wanted was Jesse. 
<laughs> shave his head and tell Superman how crazy he was. Is that what we wanted? Do, do we all feel okay about that decision? Is I think, that... well, let me ask you a question. What has Jesse Eisenberg been in since? Since since Batman v Superman? Yeah, Batman v Superman. Batman v Superman? The, the uh. important landmark court case. <laughs> Um, oh, oh, oh. Yeah, right? Right? He's gone. He is He's gone. He's disappeared into the ether. He's gone like a, like a, like a Tron. I've been thinking this whole time, uh, hey, why do we sound so quiet? You know why it was, Tim? Why? It was because the volume was turned down on my headphones. There you go, Linda. I, I've been messing with our levels this whole time. Uh, thinking that was it. Okay. Oh, also, if you hear my upstairs neighbors, it's because I live in a basement now. Did you move? I did to a basement now. It's it's going to be so much better during the summer. It'll be cool. It will. It will be much cooler in the summer. It will be much cooler in the winter. It will just be cooler. I'll be able to store all my meats. <laughs> all my meats and cheeses. That caribou you took down in the street the other week. Hey, hey. Never, never underestimate the dangers of a street caribou. <laughs> you were doing a service to the community. They're vicious, okay? Those street caribous that are wandering the avenues these days, stalking the marmalade district, looking to destroy the last quince, quince parents, tree on Quince Street. Parents rushing their children into houses. As though running from a horde of zombies. No See, we brought it back. No caribou, he no caribou here signs in the front yards. <laughs> No, no caribous and Visigoth signs in every in every retailer's window. I want like a Grand Torino, but it's you protecting an, an entire suburban neighborhood as like the one nerdy white girl, and you ah, like and you like caribou. Rambo, you like Rambo knife like this one caribou that's harassing everybody, and that's the whole thing. Well, did you, it's like that episode of uh, of Adventure Time where they they have that one really messed up deer. That licked all the candy people into one wad of candy and stuck them in the sewer. <laughs> and the, and Finn was out of it for six months. And when he comes to, this deer is terrorizing the candy kingdom and Jake is insane. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Basically, I feel like I feel like Adventure Time. Let's bring it back to what we were supposed to talk about. We, we're calling this episode YouTube Retrospective. Because we're going to talk about the YouTube that was when we were teens and early 20s. And how that shaped entertainment and, and etc. But really, it did. Especially something like Adventure Time. Yeah, like Adventure Time. Like that whole episode I just described sounds like a freaking creepypasta. Adventure Time came out, what, 2009, 2010? Uh, yeah, that was, about when I, that was about when I heard about it, yeah. So let's go back. What what were the early days of YouTube? Okay, the, the early days, days of YouTube. The year, 2001. No, Everyone's sad. Oh, we're going all the way up to nine? Because that's kind of when it started. My first, oh, that's true. My first memories of YouTube were in junior high, but I have memories of YouTube having competitors. So YouTube was always, you know, the source for nonsense, but it had competitors like Albino Black Sheep and Blip. And uh, uh, like everybody had their own flash animation site. And then YouTube kind of usurped all of that when I was in high school. It was the end yeah. of an era before it could be the beginning of a new one. Yeah, yeah, basically. Like the ultimate showdown of Ultimate Destiny had to end the end of the world skit, which gave us the phrase, uh, I am late tired. I am late tired. Uh, I, have a, I have horrible memories of like messed up stuff from the internet, like salad fingers. Yeah. And uh, Big Bunny. Do you remember Big Bunny? I was never there for Big Bunny, no. Someone made me watch Big Bunny. 
You're gonna make me watch this after. No, no, I'm telling it, you to. No, yes, you're gonna watch it on your own because it 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 traumatized me to this day. Face your fears. No. Run with scissors. I disagree. You can fly. It's not gonna happen. Uh, don't stay in school. You know what? That's the one I'm not doing because I'm 28 years old and I'm too old. Swim right after eating. You know what? That doesn't do anything. That one's actually okay. Don't you know I'm quoting a, a song to you? I do, and I'm <laughs> refuting them all. But I really am not going to make you watch Big Bunny because it's horrible. It's Oh, it, and this is also the era of Happy Tree Friends was a really popular Flash animation site. Oh, totally. The, the difference was YouTube... Flash animation was, like, cheap enough that you could do it on your own. Yeah. As a video file uh, and as a video format. So, so people could make these Flash animations... But the difference being YouTube was the first time you could point a camera at you yeah, and let it go. And also you could use other formats. So like, let's, let's talk about like, what was the stuff at the time? Um, Charlie, Charlie the Unicorn. Charlie the Unicorn. It's, it's, a tale, it's really a tale of three Charlies. It's three Charlies. Three Charlies. Oh yeah, it is. We're going to have three Charlies. Tell us about it. There's Charlie the Unicorn. Yep. Which... I think everyone here has seen, but like, it's such an interesting thing from a historical perspective, this, this strange animation, which was not flash animation. Oh no, it wasn't. What was it? I don't know if it was animated using flash, but it doesn't look like other flash animations because primarily it uses cutouts Oh yeah. to kind of dance around rather than a lot of the traditional flash stuff you saw from the likes of like homestarrunner.com. Yeah. So, and, and, and it, it, it was very in line with like adult swim humor, which a lot of that stuff was trending in that direction. But kind of from a really inaneness of the internet, it was strange and dark and creepy. Yeah. And a very kind of... Well, and so much of it was being made by teens, so it was very immature stuff. Or at least young adults at the time. Yeah, people in their 20s. Like, Homestar Runner, didn't it start as like a class project for some class they were in? Oh, I think it might have, yeah. They had to do a children's book and they came up with Strong Bad. Although Homestar Runner was before YouTube, absolutely. Homestar Runner. Yeah, that's true. And had and was the only thing to kind of grasp on for a little while longer before they moved on. And he started working as an animator. Um, he worked on Gravity Falls, I think. Oh, that's rad. Yeah, uh, one of the one of the brothers Chapman. Um, and that was, you know, that was the promise of the internet was that you could like you could make something that would go viral, and then you'd you'd wind up getting the job you wanted as an animator, and it, and it took off real quick and then got saturated even faster. Oh, absolutely. So there was there was the phenomena of an individual video, like a like a thing someone made. There was the there there was like the meme kind of yeah the the, the meme that erupted so there was like Charlie bit my finger the second Charlie of our three Charlies. The second Charlie, where it's like someone pointed something at a person in like America's Funniest Home Videos style. David, after the dentist. Yeah, it killed, it killed America's Funniest Home Videos. It really did. And, it, and thank you, And YouTube. it never has. It never has stopped. That element of it is we always enjoy watching vines or, or videos of stuff from that perspective. But lastly, there is the tale of the YouTube personality. Which is which is fascinating because as it relates to our our main deal, which is teens. Teens. Everyone liked Charlie's bit my finger. Everyone liked Charlie the Unicorn. But like, if you were an impressionable teen, you a have a substantial amount of free time that other people do not have. B, you are highly impressionable and in need of approval. 
uh, even uh, imagine so from any source you can to get it, and C, you are probably a girl and you're probably uh, coming into a, a state of awkwardness about your own sexuality and sense of desire. So who comes along but someone like Charlie is so cool like? Charlie is so cool like. So I really want to. This is something I'm not familiar with. I really want to talk about Charlie is so cool like. Oh, and uh, who is he cool like? Okay, I'm gonna show it to you. Okay. Live, live. Live reaction. Live here, guys. experience. This is this is Dory reacts to it, a, a thing Tim is showing. Him. It is this human person. Okay, so we're looking at like. Not an emo boy, but like one of those. Uh... Everyone looked emo then. Oh, it's true. We all had we all had feathery hair, except me. My hair was long, like a like a hippie from the sixties. Like, so so just yeah yes, and this is like a, a lot. Of, a thing a lot of people did was just talk to a camera and be mildly funny. Yeah, Charlie Sukulik like, was in the age of vloggers, which is where all you had to do was. We live in an age where now, if you want to be successful on the internet, you have to have kind of a budget. And a hook. And a hook. Back then, all you had to be was an unusually handsome boy in Britain who was non-threatening and into science, comedy, and, you know, nerdy pursuits. And it was gold. Yeah. Four million views. Yeah. Like, that was, that was, like, it's so fascinating to me, this idea of, like, this person that you attach your ego to in this very particular way, especially when you're a teen... And in a way that was very particular to that time. Because a lot of the people who liked Charlie then are now grown. Yeah. They don't... He's he's moved into kind of doing educational like like stuff kind of for teens and kids um, about science. He's a, he's a big science kid. Um, he's still unbelievably handsome. He is really good looking. Is he gay? No. Oh. He's just... He, he's also British, so like... So, so kind of. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, yeah, I, I kind of hit the vlogger train late in life comparatively. I feel like a lot of my friends were getting into that in high school and like lonely girl was a big thing when I was in junior high, high school. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that's kind of when the green brothers got going. Let's talk about the green wait, brothers. Wait, wait, we'll circle back to the green brothers. I was going to say, I, I didn't really discover vloggers and any real love for them until about 2012 when I started watching the gears keep turning and I started to understand like, oh, it's this weird, it's a weird little window into the life of somebody that you don't know that you would want to be friends with. It's parasocial. It's parasocial. Do we know what parasocial is? It's like a weird version of being social, like um, paranormal. Let, let's look it up. Hold on. Uh, I'm going to read this definition. Um... A parasocial relationship is a one-sided relationship where one person extends emotional energy, interest, and time, and the other party, the persona, is completely unaware of the other's existence. So it's like any kind of performance. It is any kind of performance that... Or fanship. It's, it's, it's a lot of fanship. And, and originally, a fanship was very... I think you found community in people, you know? Oh gosh, Rod Sterling, come sign my hair. <laughs> Who's Rod Sterling? I don't know. I made up a movie star. Rod Sterling wrote The Twilight Zone. Sure, that guy. I don't know. Yeah, he's dead. Come on, Jimmy Dean. Sign my magazine. Actually, no. That sounds like a thing Jimmy he, Dean... He makes sausages. Jimmy Dean... James Dean would sign your magazine. Yeah, and then he'd like put out a cigarette on your he, car. He he was involved with so many people. Oh, oh my like, gosh, yeah. We don't even know. Like, he got around. He was the Bill Murray of his day. 
Wait. Showing up at parties and... No, no, no. I mean, like, he got oh, around. Sex- oh, you mean sexually. Sexually, yes. Sexually. I'm trying to, be, I'm trying to be ginger about it. Was everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, just a few sexy little positions. And Marlon Brando as well. Um, oh my gosh, I know. Brando banged everyone. Same with Sinatra. Really? We should do a podcast sometime just called Who Did Sinatra Bang? <laughs> and we'll just list all of his famous lays. Oh my gosh. Um, anyway. The, the point being, it's, it's this idea of, of, of most fan relationships are that. But I think especially in the YouTube age, because you have an, a greater access to people's personal lives and their personal ability. Well, and also those Whereas people, before there's the barrier of like interviews and like television and like magazines in order to get to people. Now people are tweeting their day-to-day lives. Well, and, and the people that you had access to were not celebrity looking people. They were just kids like you. Except very handsome. Oh, some of them were handsome, but not all. Like, I don't think Hank Green is particularly handsome. But Hank Green is more like a dad. But Hank Green's charming. He's your cool. He's your cool older he's brother your, slash dad. He's your cool dad now that he is a dad. But he, back no, then he was no, like he your kind of was. He kind of was like he was like your cool teacher. He was the dad friend, wasn't he? Like Hank Green and Hank and John Green were. Hank and John Green, we talked about John Green before because we reviewed The Fault in Our Stars. No. Yeah, yeah, we talked a little about We talked about tar- turtles all the way down. John Green is a famous author. Or as I call it, burgle your turts. Um, who wouldn't probably have the base that he has in terms of readership if not for his success in YouTube with his brother Hank. But the Vlogbrothers were effective because they created a community. They created yeah. this idea of that nerds should... Be good, be proud of what they wanted to, be proud of their interests and their uniqueness and their intelligence, especially if you're a teenager who is ashamed of those things. They immediately opened a window where you knew there were not just a few, but millions of other people just like you if you believed in those things. Mm -hmm. And they created the language with which you could talk about it. Like they had sign offs and sayings and idioms which were unique to their channel. Stuff like, don't forget to be awesome and uh, nerd fighter and. just all these Pizza stream, John. Pizza John and all, all these things that now that they've kind of transitioned into being full on educators and kind of more independent personalities that that community has kind of, I think, grown up a little bit and kind of mm-hmm. exited out. But it was such a big deal in 2009 because I think that it was it wasn't on a national level. You're able you were able to connect with people. Yeah. In a way. It also lends this idea. Well, and like the Green Brothers, let me say, though, the oh, yeah. Green Brothers are unique in that they have taken their platform very seriously and been very careful with it. Mm-hmm. Like the Green Brothers kind of, I think they rose to fame faster than they thought because they were like, oh, this will be a fun thing to do with my brother. And then it's turned into like this whole company basically and all this stuff they make, SciShow and the educational shows, they still do Vlog Brothers. They have like three or four podcasts now. And all through it, I've become a bigger fan of theirs in recent years than I ever was as a kid, partly because it took me a while to hear about them because I didn't have the internet at home. Yep, that was a thing. And um, I'll tell you about it sometime. And partly because I've watched, going back in their catalog, how careful they've been to be like, oh, we have a platform, we have all these fans, let's use that to do charity work. Let's use that to do educational work. Let's do that. Let's use that to encourage people to do good things. And I'll be honest, I made friends because of the Green Brothers. 
there was a local group of of nerd fighters of the community that met in Provo that I ended up falling in with. That's how we I met Craig, actually. Oh, that's how you know Craig? That's actually how I know Craig. Oh my gosh. So like a whole facet of this podcast would not exist without the Green Brothers. Absolutely. This is like the Tommy Westfall universe, except it's the Green Brothers universe. Basically. In a lot of ways. Like, I, I would posit this to you. John Green is the Mr. Rogers of our time. In a way, yes, he is, I'd say. A little bit more neurotic and, and, and vulnerable than, than kind of the untouchable sainthood of uh, Mr. Rogers, but, oh, but Fred, that's part of our time. Fred had a vulnerability to him. Fred had a vulnerability, but John Green is real, man. Yeah. He will tell you about his sad, and he has some sads. He has some serious sads. Um, if you guys aren't listening to the Anthropocene Reviewed, you really need to, because it's so good. It's funny because I was less into them over time. I think our... Our interest kind of shifted. You took on more and I took on less. It's true. I was a weird... So you want to hear the weird thing about my childhood is that I did not have internet at home until I went to college. Like that was college when I had Wi-Fi in my apartment was the first time I had internet in the place that I lived because my parents wouldn't get it. My parents didn't want to deal with having to monitor us on the internet and our computer was shitty and old, and they didn't want to buy a new one. So, and also Wi-Fi was not as good back then. And there was only one company in Emory County that did it, and they were just getting started. So it was hard to it, it was hard to get good internet anyway, and really expensive for what you got. So I never had a MySpace. I never had um, a, a Tumblr because Tumblr started when I was in high school. Yeah. And I made a YouTube channel in college because my professor wanted us to use YouTube to submit videos for homework. It, I think I started getting them right in my freshman year of college. Yeah. Like, that's when I, I became aware of the internet at that time. But before I had mostly used it for anime, college was where it was like, oh, this is, this is a group of people that I feel safe and I identify with. Yeah. In a way I hadn't before. Really cool. Yeah, and that's when I kind of was like, wait, I can just watch Boy Meets World on YouTube in my house, which I did. I watched, there was no Netflix. And, so, and this was before the copyright bots, so you could watch anything on YouTube. Yeah, people would upload stuff. They, they were starting to get the bots, and so it would be like, it would be like pitched up, just barely, or it would be like, <laughs> it, would, it, it would be like a little faster than normal. Yeah, or you could go on Mega Video and surf the channel and oh, watch stuff illegally. Oh, Mega Upload. I remember Mega Upload. What good times. That's how I watched like all of Secret Life of the American Teenager. I would wait for the new episode to get pirated to Mega Video. Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, the Green Brothers. And, and the community they, they, they brought up was really important because part of that was they, they kind of set the standard. They're the ones that led the video industry. They yeah. started VidCon. And how lucky we were that it was them. How lucky we were that it was two dorky, very ethical, like, brothers. Well, it's hard because YouTube... Okay, we're going to get real. Do you want to get real? Yeah. YouTube is... Mm, Balls toxic? It's, it's tenuous. If you have a relationship with YouTube as a creator, it will always be tenuous. Because YouTube if, is, is not able to contract with you directly. At least in some of those early days, there was more of that because independent creators were driving traffic harder. So if you were like a cool like or like a Neil Cicerega, they really cared more about taking care of you. Now they don't. Now they have millions of content creators and they can automatize the relationships. 
But to, so, be, but to be fair, back then they didn't have the commercial relationship with their creators they have now, because no, because YouTube was not profitable until it was bought by Google. YouTube was like there were no ads, so there wasn't really ad revenue. You could have a Patreon, I think, but like Patreon and ads came around the same time. Patreon and ads. Patreon were later, did like, not exist until a lot later. There was um, yeah, so YouTube was like a weird lawless wasteland. And that's part of why they didn't have the copyright bots was I don't think they had much capital to do it with. That's also one reason why it was so magical back in 2009 is that, so one of our favorite reviewers, internet people right now is Jenny Nicholson. Oh yeah. And she started in that era too. She started in that era. And I got to tell you, uh, I was warmed up to Twilight the Musical, a project which no longer exists on the internet anywhere you can watch it legally. Um... Uh, I'm not saying don't look it up with Russian subtitles, but I'm also saying maybe do. Um, <laughs> it's, it's worth it. It's, it's so funny and it's not even a complete work. It, it, it literally jumps, scratches like what, 50 pages into twilight, no further. Mm-hmm. But it's the sort of thing where if you had any modicum of talent and a care for detail and you were doing something no one else was doing, you could make something with a bunch of your friends and it would get hundreds of thousands of views. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, like like the bar was so much lower back then, and that meant anyone could throw culture at the wall and seize what sticks. Um, Bo Burnham is a great example of that. Um, Bo Burnham, is he a comedian? Bo Burnham is a stand-up comedian now, and he's very pot, and he's he's got a lot of clout. Um, he's releasing a movie, which we will probably review, uh, called Eighth Grade, which came out at Sundance this year, which was very oh. popular, which is about a girl in eighth grade and her struggle to have friends, but also exist in like this YouTube social media world. Um, and it's just this guy and he's just like in his little room in, in like the, the top part of his house, like in the attic. And he's just plinking away at a piano, singing funny little songs that are like a little bit shocking. Like he has one song that says, everyone thinks I'm gay and it's so horrible. Like my family thinks I'm gay and they won't stop. And he's like, even my boyfriend thinks I'm gay. <laughs> it's funny. Um, and, and he would, he would sing these songs and they were really kind of real and sad and depressing. He was one of the first people to talk about how YouTube was going to go down the drain as soon as it, it was, you know, more uh, usurped into larger corporations and that sort of thing. And stuff like that impresses me that like you know you could be just somebody with some talent on a computer and hang out and you would get you would break through now that's not the case now you're you have to find your niche and now things are so much different because before they were so much more concerned about curating things now everything is the algorithm it's true um that's not to say that there aren't similarities teens still care about you too it's true. This is one of the things that my niece and I have kind of bonded over is that we both liked the same um, girl who does uh, nail polish tutorials. Makeup tutorials. Stuff like yeah. Logan Paul is a big deal now, even though Logan Paul is a horrible person. Yeah. He was kind of he was kind of the worst of that era, wasn't he? No, well, he's he's firmly of this era, I'd say. Oh, is he really? Yeah. Like cuz a lot of a lot of the older YouTube personalities that I used to know have had audiences that have grown with them but are now more modest compared to people who aggressively monetize their online presence and the parasocial relationship aspect like Logan Paul. Logan Paul is simulates the experience of hanging out with a friend versus Charlie is so cool. Like 
was I think on the other end of that parasocial relationship, people felt like he was their friend, even though they never had met him and he didn't know who you were, except but, as like a number and like maybe a comment in a larger group. But now Charlie is so cool, like is making like books and little things about science and like making little educational videos and stuff. And well, with Charlie, Logan Paul is selling t-shirts. Well, with Charlie, there was always like a, like a performative aspect. There was, but I think in a way... Which, which I think is, which I think is good in that, in that. But it's the difference between I think also yeah. like back in two thousand nine, the kids that you really got into were like these shy kids who were kind of more insulated, like Charlie or Bo, mm-hmm. or even other even pe- Jenny, or even Jenny, who who kind of now has had like a second life on YouTube and in this the golden age of vid- the golden age of video essays, but now it's someone like Logan Paul who's brash and and is just instinctively knows how to get attention. Yeah. And wants nothing more than that. Yeah. And it's terrifying. But also good because there are there are silver linings. I mean, there there are kids now who connect on YouTube in a way that I don't think they would have otherwise. It's true. And now I feel like the new YouTube is podcasts. And Vine and Twitter and Snapchat. Twitter and Snapchat. But I'm saying like as far as like creatives who are like, oh hey, this like reasonably priced thing I can do to get my work out there, it's all podcasts. Yeah. I'd say in a way, because now the barrier to entry on YouTube is so much higher. You have to have really nice cameras. You have to have a lot of stuff that normal people don't have as much of. Although Vines are Vines quickly became the new YouTube in a way. Yeah, that's true. What? Who's? There's all those Vine stars. Let's name that one kid who's that one guy who's short. I don't know. I never sings had, Disney songs. I never had Vine. I still don't have Snapchat. The kids don't have Snapchat now either, so we're fine. What do the kids have? Uh, I think they're on Twitter. Mostly Twitter. I know a lot of teens are on Twitter. Twitter really weathered the storm, didn't it? It did, um, Mar- mainly because culturally it, it shifts so quickly. You can do so much with Twitter. Um, and it kind of ate Vine in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like short videos now are passed around Twitter as opposed to just Vine. Although Vine should live forever. Thank goodness they brought it back. I feel like it kind of killed Tumblr too. Yeah, I mean a lot of people aged out of Tumblr. A lot of people still age out of Tumblr. Yeah. Do the kids have Tumblr? I don't think as many. I don't think they use it as much as they used to. I don't know, though. I feel like Pinterest also kind of killed Tumblr. In a way, I think Pinterest is, like, for your mom. And, like, your your mom. Or at least you grew up to be her. So It's like, also for me. It's also for me to plan you, my dream wedding. You, you grew up to be your mom. Well, yeah. But, like, also... But also there's Star Trek. And my mom doesn't know Star Trek. Yeah. I don't... I'm not my mother yet. I mean, I feel like the way culture is disseminated now, people tend to use Instagram and our peer group more. I don't know about Tumblr. I don't think it's used as much. Yeah, Instagram is definitely more popular. Oh, shit, I am my mother. Yeah. Anyway, YouTube fascinates me and I think is important because it it created a new type of media that affected all the others. Um, the way that John Green, you know, changed literature wouldn't have happened if people didn't find John Green the person relatable mm-hmm. and believe the th- the author behind the voice of those teenagers as much as they did you know he he it lends an authenticity to characters like the fault in our stars which no one would have believed i think yeah if not for the fact all these teens were here vouching for this guy like yep he's one of us yeah and in some ways for me it makes his work a little like a little weird cuz i find his personality very charming but when I find his personality filtered through the books he writes, I find it less charming. Yeah. I like him better when he's just being himself. Yeah. 
So there's so there's that element. There's the element of teens getting to know individual figures. I mean, people fixating on personalities, I think, directly sprung into the success of stuff like Glee and a lot of shows we're seeing now where people want connection to stars. And even some people ascended to them. Darren Chris was on Glee. Darren Chris has had a reasonably robust career. Darren Chris started out doing YouTube videos, YouTube tape performances of a college musical parodies of Harry Potter. Yeah, and they are good. I hope they're still on there. They still are. Good. A very Potter musical and a very Potter sequel. Both of them so fun. Very, very much. So it's like, it's the way in which people now, teenagers especially, seek validation closer than before, I think is really important. I don't know. I feel like this is our weird preamble episode to eighth grade. Uh, kind of. Cause, cause I didn't even know get, that was happening. Once we get into eighth grade, once we watch eighth grade, I feel like we can talk about where a lot of this stuff has landed. Yeah. More. As opposed to just kind of where it was. Well, and like... Let me say this. Oh. One of the special things about YouTube is the way people made friends over YouTube in 2009. Mm. And because YouTube was point a camera at myself and talk to the internet... There was a level of authenticity to it for the very first time where you could make friends with someone across the country or even in another country and you didn't have to worry about whether or not they were secretly X, Y, or Z because you knew who they were. You could see them. Because you'd met them. You'd seen them already. So sometimes the relationship breached parasocial and went straight to social because you were talking to each other through vlogs. That's true. And in the MySpace era, like, so you and I, when we were little kids, everyone was like, never give your real name online. Never tell people your real name and don't give them your credit card number. And now, like, we're so past that, like, all of our crap is online. And I think YouTube, like, I hadn't, this hadn't occurred to me, but now that you said that, YouTube and the face-to-faceness of it must have had something to do with breaking down everyone's privacy concerns about putting their identity on the internet. Well, and there's so much of how, for teens, it's, it's not just that you could form these relationships, it's that teens are often so isolated that you needed them. And since teens needed each other, the, the people who needed each other found each other, and there's something really special about that. Yeah. And, and the way those relationships happened. Well, and like, I, there's something special too about the way it gave like the, uh, you know, the old, the old YouTube where the regulation was definitely not what it is now and the monetization was not there, gave voices to people that probably wouldn't have gotten them through what were the official channels of their day. These are people that probably wouldn't have gotten jobs as news anchors or curators or movie critics but, creators, and now a lot of them are. And now a lot of them are because they were like, hey, I, this tool lets me take it in my own hands. Yeah. And uh, I think that's really special. And I think it has been special too for purposes. I mean, a lot of a lot of our YouTube personalities are still white people, but a lot are not. And a lot are not. A whole lot are not. And a whole lot are not Todrick cis people. Hall, Todrick Hall is like a big name. Even right now, like appearing on rally television shows and stuff. He started on YouTube. That's an example. Yeah, a lot of a lot of transgender folks have found the platform of the internet mm-hmm. to find each other and find resources. A lot of like now it's just the problem of the algorithm. Now it's just the algorithm. That awful algorithm. What's what algorithm are you speaking of specifically? The YouTube algorithm. The one that guesses what you want to watch next? Yeah, because that's how content gets promoted. Oh. If you're not looking for it, how are people going to find you? Are they going to recommend... Because a recommendation is so rare from people. Well, there were still recommendations back in the day, but they were more random. They're more random and they're more rare now. So anyway. Yeah, it's true. You kind of get a lot of the same stuff um, that that you were looking at. 
I, uh, I definitely have had my share of YouTube rabbit holes lately of looking at people's old work from that era and, uh, and then looking at their work now, like somehow I found Jenny Nicholson's thing where she just overdubbed her voice over the last scene from Revenge of the Sith. What? Have you not seen this? We're going to watch this after the podcast. Yeah, she just does like her, her own, her own voice over Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen talking. It's amazing. Um, did you know that I made some YouTube content around that time? I did know that. You made the something Francis Scott Key? Yeah, so I... Which reminds I, me of oh, Washington, Washington. Washington, Washington. It is similar, except Six mine was... Six foot eight made of radiation. Made of radiation. He'll help the children, but, but not, not the, the British, British children. children. Oh. Uh, can I tell... Oh, man. I can't tell you. Back in the day, too, somebody did a cover of... Uh, too late to apologize that was too late to colonize or something like that that was all, the american revolution and there was like a rock band in it that was jefferson on the violin and then adams and franklin on guitars mm-hmm. and like five different people sent that to me because i was a history major at the time <laughs> and so people were like oh you like history here's this john adams is in this but anyway um yeah, I, I hit it way too late. By the time I discovered the internet, the market was already saturated. I think Francis Scott Key got a total of 40 views. That's pretty good. It was pretty good. Like, 20 of them are, are, were just me. Uh, so yeah, I did a a weird, what I called a voiced web comic called The Adventures of Francis Scott Key, where you just see it panel by panel, and my friends did the voices. And then I, I did a music video where I played the ukulele and did a stop motion animation that I drew on a notepad in my bedroom during a lonely summer working for the Shakespeare Festival. <laughs> it's good. You guys should see it. Yeah, it's Link okay. Link it. Link it. Have you seen it? Have you seen my music video? Oh, you showed it. Oh, not that one. You, you showed me Francis Scott Key. I've shown you Francis Scott Key. It's okay. Someday I'll finish my opus. I think, I think first I have to make my 1776 with cats. Yeah, 1776 with cats, and then we finish French, we finish FSK. I was really hoping that like by the time I finished FSK, some of the people who did the voices would be famous, and I'd be like, and there would be like some kind of high-profile rights dispute over me using their voice. Uh, so far, that has not happened. <laughs> A lot of those people, I think, are still in. No, no, none of them are still in college. It was too long ago. But yeah, I hit it way too late. Do you want to watch a piece of? 2009 i do but but maybe we should wrap it up with our podcast friends first we probably should we're about I, out of time I'm, anyway i want to i want to drag dory down a youtube hole now that's what's going to happen next that's what's going to happen uh thanks for listening everybody you can find us on twitter at jdrc podcast uh, our new website brand spanking new shiny silver dollar website oh man oh ofta is jdrcpodcast.podbean.com. We also have a Patreon that is linked in our website. <laughs> so just click on that link, because I don't remember the URL for that. The URL. The URL. The URL. The URL Mountains. Uh, I don't remember the <laughs> URL for that, <laughs> but it's on our website. Uh, and I, I should remind y'alls, if you haven't listened to our Runaways episode, it is on our Patreon page, and it is available to you for the donation of a mere $1. And while we're talking about this, let's thank our our brave donors, uh, Marlena Rabago thompson my dearest, <laughs> loveliest wife, and 
uh, a friend of Tim's named Wiley. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you, those two donors. The, the Jedrek now has $2 in its coffers. So thank you for that. Uh, if you want to see that episode, Love it's on there. Love those $2 together. Have them make some dollar babies. Have them make some dollar dollar babies. Uh, and go go check out our Patreon if you want to see our Runaways episode. I'm hoping to put more stuff up there after I get done moving. Um, what else? Timothy Maurice. You can check... Find me on Twitter at CyberMormon. Oh, Tim is at CyberMormon. I'm at Dory E. Peacock. My name right now is Dory Juan Canori. Tim's name right now is... Oh, I changed it. Now it's You Sound Like Two Horses. You Sound Like Two Horses. Uh, what else? Let's see. We did the website. Oh, email us at jdrcpodcast at gmail.com. Talk to us. I want to hear how you feel. Talk to us on our Foch book. Just search the Judgment Day Refreshment Committee. It'll pull up our page. You know all that stuff. You know all that stuff. You know the Sochmeads. You kids and your YouTubes and your, your Tumblers and your Timblers and... Oh, that's what we should have called you! Oh, no! That should have been the Tim Pun! No! 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 No, we'll do it in 8th grade! Oh, we'll no. do it in 8th grade! We'll do it in 8th grade! Oh my gosh, we'll you guys. Grade. This is the worst opportunity that the Jedrek has ever missed. Okay, everyone. Thank you for listening. <laughs> These are our sign-offs. Oh, James Dean can sign my magazine anytime. Thanks for listening, and remember, we won't judge you, but we will bring the Jello salad to your trial.